Hey, welcome to Developers Hangout, a podcast for developers by developers, a place where we get together as often as possible and discuss a wide range of topics from the books we're reading to latest news and commentary on other tech podcasts. Uh, I am Nathan Kirschbaum and joining me is... Hey, I'm Al Nutilli. Hey, Al, how's it going? Uh, It's going well. Uh, Like I was saying earlier, I started that new... Uh, side podcast, um, uh, readorlisten.com. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, what? Uh, so what's that yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, no, it's just me reading articles I like uh, during the week uh, that I write or others write. So I'm going to read one today by uh, the uh, person who created Behat. i got to listen on how to pronounce his name, but uh, a lot of people know him as Everett. That's really fun. That's a good yeah. idea. So basically it's just like... Um, for people who drive or who yeah, do treadmill yeah. or like just want a yeah. break from reading or maybe they're coding and want just something to listen yeah, to. Yeah, I imagine that. Yeah. 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 No, it's a great I, idea. Yeah. I want to get a few more people on board. So we just build up a great collection and there's so many good books out there too that I've read that, uh, yeah, they're code books, but they could still be read. Right. Wow. That's really cool. Well, yeah. Well, so we'll provide a link to that actually in our show notes for those of you who wanted to check it out. Um, or it's really easy to listen or to, to remember readerlisten.com. Uh, and yeah, maybe you can check back with us as we go, as you, as things progress. I'd love to hear how this, how this goes for you. Yeah. Thanks. All right, thanks. cool. Um, uh, and plug. Is yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so we should mention, speaking of plugs, uh, we do have a sponsor for this episode, PHP architect. Uh, if you haven't heard of them, uh, pretty cool. Check them out. PHP architect has actually, uh, been published continuously since 2002. Uh, it's the, uh, only magazine or technically, uh, technical journal f- dedicated exclusively, uh, to PHP. They've got all kinds of good stuff, uh, articles, trainings, uh, the magazine, of course. Uh, and ac- actually, I think we may talk about one of their um, articles in uh, the first yeah. issue, uh, 2016. So yeah, maybe we should just jump right into that. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so yeah, the, the you know, as always, they have a great list of articles. Uh, I still got a lot more to read there. Uh, I read the CLI tools one, command line tools with Symphony Components, uh, which is just a good overview of that particular tool, uh, that particular library, um, and how to use it to write command line. And, I, and it, it reminds me that we have a lot of power with PHP, and, and we can't forget that uh, it can do a lot of great stuff at the command line as well. Mm. So is this like, um, I didn't read it, but is this kind of like uh, a symphony process-based component that helps you it's, to... Right. No, he's just going at it from a real simple level of like, you can build command line. Here's a great library to help you. And here's all the features it has to help you build those command line gotcha. tools. And his, it's just silly stuff in, 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 in examples like, you know, quote of the day with an elephant underneath it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, uh, so yeah, just a really good, uh, basic look at though, how to use those things. Yeah. Cool. But we're lucky it's built in the Laravel. They used that library and, and wrapped it a little bit with some features. Fun. That's great. So yeah, check out that article and then many others, of course, in yeah. this uh, this first 20, 2016 yeah, edition. Yeah, exciting. I wonder if there's any events going on for them, This uh, this uh, any upcoming events yeah. that would have been... Because um, they have their... They have those uh, programs where they're doing uh, online courses, right, uh, and things like that. Yeah, and th- in addition to that, they also do like the remote. Like I know they were doing that um, that cruise, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know if they've stopped sold out on that yet or not. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, they're totally probably cool. uh, all recovering from planning on that, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so um, all right, all right. So, thanks to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. So next on the list. Um, the list. I thought you weren't supposed to ever reference the oh, list. Oh, I just edit out the list whenever I bring oh, it up. That's geez. fine. Um, 
so yeah, I wanted to mention, uh, so I've been working on, uh, kind of a, a, a B hat type tool. Uh, basically we got ourselves into a situation where we needed to take some screenshots of various web pages, but we started having problems with, uh, some of the traditional, uh, options out there to do it, such as going through, uh, there's a number of services that you can go through like APIs that allow you to do that. Um, but I found a nice article, um, one of our colleagues actually, uh, Andy, uh, put together um, called Using Selenium and a Virtual Frame Buffer for BHAT Tests on a Headless Server. So I'm not sure how many people are going to run into needing this, but it's actually pretty cool because it's not like uh, Andy's got it all figured out. So uh, I'm sure it was a lot of work to figure out. But now that uh, it is figured out, it's actually pretty cheap and pretty easy to get up and running and make it so that you know you could basically just write a BHAT test that says, and I take a screenshot, uh, and it'll uh, interact with this headless frame buffer and take a take a screenshot. Um, and so it was pretty fun. I actually got to work with it because I was doing some uh, remote authentication work for uh, Drupal websites, and I used this component. Uh, and it was really cool and really fun. And so um, for those of you who kind of are into automation, uh, like there's, you know, like I mentioned, there's a number of services. What's the service we use sometimes? Uh, uh, Sauce, Labs. Sauce Labs. There's Sauce Labs. There's also, there's a couple other popular ones out there uh, for automated testing. But for folks who are into that kind of thing or thinking about automation, this could actually be a really cool tool for you. Yeah. No, it's a really neat way to do that stuff. Yep. Very specific in our case, what we're using it for. Right. Um. So uh, another article linked to you is Better Together, Amazon, ECS, and AWS Lambda. It's just a fun article uh, where they show you how these tools can come together um, to do some uh, really neat things as the Lambda will trigger events to wake up a cluster, uh, but also send information to an SQS queue, which then the cluster wakes up and grabs everything off the queue oh. to then deliver things back. And all this is triggered from and to an S3 bucket. And I think, you know, if you follow these directions to the T, you'll get nothing working. But I think what it does is it gets you to a point where you get to see how much could get done with Amazon and remove from your code a, a lot of work that we tend to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that will simplify your code at the same time, make it more, I think, in many ways, reliable because it's relying on their services. Right. So it's a really nice pattern. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I haven't had much experience with the Lambda yet, but I love yeah. that. I love the idea of it because it's just so quick, and that you know, yeah. there, there's there's uh, you know, literally no maintenance on it. They're maintaining all <laughs> the, the hardware and architecture, scaling maintenance. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's really a great uh, and that's actually thing to keep in mind. Man. I mean, hit Lambda, send out yeah. task. Oh, task has to run too long. Who cares? Put it on a worker. Worker can take all day. Yeah. yeah. Man, this could be really cost saving too for some folks. Like, um, I can just think, like, you know, some of the stuff we've worked on in the past over the last year or so, Al, it's like sometimes those servers can cost thousands of dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you might, the, you might only be using them for, you yeah. know, an hour or two here and there. Yeah. Uh, so this is really interesting to me, the, the idea that ha- to having to have Lambda kind of orchestrate that, yeah. fire up and, EC2 instances. And, uh, and all triggered from a simple dump to a bucket that could easily, you know, be the config or the JSON payload that you meant to give Lambda. Wow. Right? Yeah. It's, it's really neat. It's brain. It's one of those um, paradigm twists. Though, how do we code? How do we think? How do we? Right. Uh, who? Who? You know, where's the responsibility lie? Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, it also yeah. makes me. I'm just thinking about it, but it also makes me think because we spent a bit of time trying to architect the B hat, uh, the right? B hat thing, um, yeah. and so that would be that would be helpful here. Um, yeah. But also, even like more lower level, like just thinking through like 
some of the stuff we've put together for yeah. how to auto scale and how to manage yeah. that when yeah. you know because yeah. like simple auto scaling with with aws is so easy uh it, yeah. it's all you could all do it all in the ui or the api but when you have more complex things where you have a number of queues and you're needing yeah. to kind of like do some mathematical calculations to figure out how many ec2 instances you need or how you know how many how much of this yeah. how much of that um yeah. It, it gets complicated, and I wonder if Lambda would help there too, because if it's kind of acting as kind of a centralized hub that direct, essentially directs uh, some of these other things, it could potentially make those calculations uh, and yeah. spin up the correct number or the correct size of EC2, th- those kind of things. Totally. Uh, yeah, it could have said, hey, I'm putting 20 jobs on the queue. Oh, if it's more than 10, I have to, sp- I have to exactly. call three clusters yeah. or three workers. You know? So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Now for your book. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I found this article, I think it was referenced in another book I was reading, but it's called, um, mock roles, uh, not objects. And it's actually a PDF. We'll link to it, but it's, uh, uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's not too old, but it's, it's gotta be a number of years old now, but it's by, uh, Steve Freeman, uh, Nat Price, Nick McKinnon and Joe Wallinez. And, uh, they're from the ThoughtWorks UK team. Um, <laughs> And I really found it fascinating. It, it, uh, you know, Al's giving me a hard time because it's like 11 pages, um, but it's pretty good stuff. I have to admit, like, uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I, I really appreciate the way that it really goes about defining things. Uh, mm-hmm. So obviously it's talking about, about mocks, but, even, you know, even if you – first we'll even go and, and it probably has the most concise uh, definition of test-driven development that I've ever mm-hmm. read. Uh, and I really enjoy, I really enjoy that. Um, but one of the things I like about this the most is that they kind of are refuting a, um, you know, they put out a paper, I guess, I don't know, sometime before this one that kind of, uh, you know, put forward some ways to use mock objects, which, which I think a lot of people use mock objects for today. Um, and they're saying in this article, they're saying, well, we were kind of wrong. We are, we, we, we are updating our, our interpretation of like the best way to use this. Um, mm-hmm. and they even go so far as to say mock objects is misnamed. Um, and it's really a technique for identifying types in a system based on roles and objects play. Right. Um, so, it, so it's just really interesting to, and, you know, it goes into a lot of detail. So obviously we don't have time to talk about that now, but, um, but it goes into some of the things we've been talking about where people can really overdo like a you know like to distill this article a little bit it's what we've been talking about how like you can really overdo mocks to the point where you're binding yourself to uh to, you know you're you're binding yourself too closely to the implementation and you're uh, making your tests really fragile and then it you know you question like what is the real value of this test when they are this fragile or when they are so mocked out that um they don't, they actually don't catch bugs anymore. Um, you know, and that's something we've been talking about a lot. And for me, this is just kind of a bit of a deeper dive and it's added a lot of context for me that I find particularly helpful. So, um, that's cool. Yeah. Some, a few things at the end here, like they just come kind of go through like what they've learned. Um, and you know, one of the things I like is don't use getters. Uh, this drives me nuts sometimes. (laughs) Like I'll work, you know, and, and, uh, uh, I'll work in like, people like to use getters all the time. And it it turns out that that's a really good way to make things pretty fragile. Um, you know, there, there are use cases for them, of course. Um, but, and then there's stuff we know to be explicit about things that should not happen. Uh, you know, specify as little possible in the test, like, you know, really meaning like get at the core of what you're trying to test and don't try, you know, this drives Al nuts. Like when, when, uh, 
you know, when someone will write a test and it's like testing words on a page and like silly stuff that, um, that isn't really core to whatever you're really trying to test. Um, so it was just nice. It, w- it was nice to, to go through some of these things, uh, yeah. and see. I'll have to read it. Yeah. Um, all right. The next one is, uh, simplification is the technology trend for 2016. Um, so this article, uh, it just I gave it a, a read a couple of days ago, but basically it's just a good reminder of some of the things to keep in, keep thinking about as we move in and, and how to and it kind of over it overlaps with the AWS thing. It's like how can we simplify? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's it's a quick read. Yeah, I thought this was good. They gave a lot of um, you know like they brought up Lambda, which we just talked about as yeah. one of the ways. Like so, that's an example of things simplifying. Um, yeah. You know, and they talked about Stripe and Twilio, which, of course, I mean, Stripe has really changed the the game yeah. for the payment industry. I mean, most yeah. of the apps that we've, we're building for startups these days use Stripe just because it's so accessible and so flexible and so yeah, easy. I remember how much code that used to be. Oh, man. So, um, yeah, it's it's just a nice look and a reminder about those things, like um, – uh, like you said, with Lambda, with servers, with databases, all that stuff. Yeah. You know what I wonder? Because I, I haven't had my head in the game as long as some other folks, um, including you. So maybe you have an opinion on this. But, like, um, I, I, you know, it's so funny because, you know, simplification is good. Simplification is hard sometimes. Um, but ultimately, it's, you know, the, the, the tools or the technology that end up uh, winning out are the ones that, that, find that nice simplification balance. Um, but I always wonder, like, when you simplify things, maybe you're just, like, so you simplify things, but it's just kind of allowing, like, the next level of complexity. It's like, you know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like for us, right? Like, we, you know, Forge came out, and we don't have to mess around with provisioning servers anymore. So, yeah. you know, a couple hours a week is, like, is saved by, and now we can focus on other things. But are we doing less complicated things? No, we're just doing other complicated things instead of server management. Um, yeah. You know, so it's yeah. interesting. Uh, it's interesting. Whenever I see articles like, the, you know, it's the simple, this is the year of simplification. Uh, it's a kind of, it's kind of, it just makes me think, huh? Yeah. Well, it is like you're saying, it's just a natural progression um, of, of, of things, you know, right. like we, we build on top of technologies, right. uh, whether it's a Unix command line or PHP or, uh, AWS, RDS, DynamoDB, whatever. We, we just keep building on top and then, simplifying what used to be hard but then we just create more needs right you know, desires right so it, it's it's you know it's great <laughs> it keeps yeah. us busy yeah <laughs> and always something new which is kind of nice you know yeah, and all, yeah. A constant, con, that's what i like most about this business i think is we have to be we have to consistently learn and we have to be constant learners and i, yeah. I really enjoy that uh, yeah unless you're you know cobalt yeah right <laughs> um Yep. So, okay. So another thing I wanted to talk about, um, Lar- now this Laravel 5.2 came out a little bit before Christmas. Uh, we didn't have a time to talk about it before the new year. Uh, but I just wanted, I'm going to link to an article and I just wanted to run through quickly, um, uh, just a handful of, of features that I thought were pretty cool, uh, that folks might want to check out. Uh, those of you who are, are kind of doing Laravel or getting into Laravel. Um, so there's a new auth scaffolding command, um, and this is ju- this is just kind of like some similar to some of the other uh, scaffolding commands, like you know, for example, Al Al committed a, a command that allows you to create a PHP unit teth, uh, test test. Yeah, yeah. So this is the same kind of thing. Um, it just allows you to use the new auth frame. I mean, they've got some new yeah, a, nice. a new auth system. Um, well, it's the same auth system. It's just now instead of copying the README docs uh, or the Laravel docs, were which were great. 
uh, and you had to copy paste file X to here. Like they made it wicked easy. It's like great. Just give me the artisan right. command. It was a really whoever did it. If it was Taylor or whoever, it was a really good idea. Yeah, <laughs> simplifies things a lot. So easy. <laughs> the other thing, so they, we've got um, implicit model binding, which is pretty cool. And those of you who've used Laravel in the past, you know, like if you're, you know, so you're building an API, for example, and you've got a, a particular route. So it might be like mywebsite.com forward slash API, you know, or version one forward pass API forward slash posts, and then like a post ID. And then you do, you do, of course, inside either inside your root or inside some other class that you're calling, you would have to go and do like a find or fail on the post ID to try and get that. Um, and so they've done now what they've done is similar to what they do with um, with uh, like class level injection, where you can currently you know you can inject objects automatic basically automatic. Uh, class resolution uh in into your objects uh you can now do that on routes so it will um and you, you'll see it in the documentation but you basically don't have you can skip out on that find or fail process and that object will be right uh, available for you there um in you know in the uh in the route which is pretty exciting yeah i've never used that <laughs> yeah i haven't yet but i want to i mean i mean ever before even so i don't know if right. i'm missing on something because it's an old feature uh, it's just uh, been updated. Right. Um, you could manually so. bind it before, yeah. um, and now it's just I've never done it. I've never had to. I don't understand. Right. Maybe someone needs to enlighten me on that one. <laughs> um, so the task output was pretty cool. You could schedule a task and now dump the output to a file or a log or whatever. It, it's a nice little feature. Yeah, that's a Schedule good is just great. Yeah, totally. And then the next one, the uh, the uh, the uh, it's got a form array validation, yeah. uh, which I really appreciate a lot. I've dealt with this when if you, if you have a form that has like nested fields, um, it can really be a pain to validate all that. You'd have to have like basically loop through or create separate rules. Um, and they've basically introduced a wildcard, um, which allows you, you know, in a syntax, which allows you to take a rule and apply it to everything within an array. And that's pretty, pretty nice. Um, yeah. Database session driver, they added some more fields so we could uh, uh, release sessions based off user ID or IP address. That's a nice little tweet. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm pretty excited. Of course, you can do middleware groups now. So this is where, you know, in PHP 5, uh, one, they've introduced middleware, and now we can uh, group them, uh, which is pretty nice. So you can apply them uh, with a simple grouping. You can apply them to a number of routes. Um Something I'm particularly excited about and would have come in quite handy on past projects is rate limiting. Um, so this actually allows you to limit the uh, access to a particular uh, route, uh, and you could do it by IP address, for example, um, which is pretty fun. I actually worked on some um, some uh, audio video, an audio video company in New York that distributed, uh, distributed content to a lot of major providers in the U S. And one of the things that we had to figure out was how, how do we limit that access to these APIs? And, And this would have been super helpful in that. So I'm excited about, I'm excited about this change. Um, and that's the main thing there, there was some, there was also a change to eloquent global scope and how that works, which, uh, really simplifies that quite a bit. Um, but overall, nothing, nothing mind blowing, but just some super helpful stuff in 5.2. Yep. <clears throat> he keeps busy there. Mm-hmm. All right. And the last one is angular, uh, material, which is the material design from Google. Um, and it's, they just made some, someone made some directives that, uh, are angular specific. I'm sure there's a VU one. Um, but it brings this nice material design into an easy format for us to use for Angular apps. Yeah, I'm still. And I'm starting. Okay. I'm starting to like it better than Bootstrap. Really? So, yeah. I got to give it a try. 
I've um yeah. I've just started to read about the material design piece. It's kind of a little uh I don't know. It's a little abstract for me, right? I mean, it looks gorgeous and I I think yeah. I understand some of the some of the things behind it. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's fun. I was trying to find a good definition of it, of what it was. The best I could come up with is on their website. It's this, um, a material metaphor is the underlying theory of a rationalized space and a system of motion. The material is grounded in tactile reality inspired by the study of paper and ink yet technologically advanced and open to imagination and magic. Uh, so it's hard to put in. Oh, okay. (laughs) No, it's all right. No, what's important though, is that there it's, 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 I bet you if you read the human interface guys from Apple, too, you'll get a little bit of that aloofness, right? Right. But their consistency is, is, is key here. And, and from using both Android and Apple, um, iOS, I think they're actually beating Apple at this point uh, for some of their nice design. Mm, that's interesting. Google Play is just a great-looking UI, and it, it's a UI that works from browser to tablet uh, to phone. Really? Mm. So, yeah, it's... It is aloof, though, what you're reading. It's, it's, but in the end, it's just that consistency that they're beating on. Right. No, it makes sense. And the more I thought about it, if I sat there for five minutes and thought about that, those two sentences uh, and looked at their pretty pictures, like it does. Yeah. I, I think I understand what they're saying. Uh, it's just uh, not not you, not what I'm used to. But I want to understand it because I, I yeah. agree with you. I think it is where things are heading. Like, um, you know, you've brought it up before. I've had other folks, other other people we work with, bring it up. Um, is this is this is this kind of similar or on the same? This is Bootstrap. Well, it's Bootstrap, but I'm curious. So there's a while back, you and I looked at what was it? Cards. Like a, oh yeah, cards is just one element. Cards is just it's. There's actually a demo here of cards. Okay. Cards is an element, a mindset of how to deal with that type of um, uh, layout data slash data. Mm-hmm. So they show you cards working here, and it's just a, a way of laying it out and having the user interact with it. Gotcha. Consistency, uh, which works out nice. I mean, their Google Play Music app I think uses it. It's it's a pretty nice looking app, and in Google now. Um, you know, I think is is one of the bigger bigger ones that use this, and all of them just I, I endlessly in, like enjoy th- a lot of the effects they have. And I think the paper point that they mentioned earlier, I think actually I'm seeing it. You know, I, I like it. I, I mean, they're they're right now it's it's beating Apple, that's for sure, in my opinion. Interesting, yeah. So, uh, I mean, not all apps have it. That's the hard part. Right. But if you have a Android device or on your Apple phone, download Google Play. Uh, you'll start seeing some of these nice little interactions. Um, even their news article, um, their uh, they have a great uh, news article for iOS and uh, Android uh, Play newsstand, and it's just a really nice interface. I'm always impressed by this stuff, like huh. how how fluid it is. Yeah, so. I don't have any Android devices, but I maybe I should get one and check it out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, we use Bootstrap, and the goal is to never do any CSS uh, and never have to think anything about this stuff because <laughs> I hate it. But to drop things in that look nice is really a, a fun part of the job. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, all right. Um, the next section is latest readings, and we're still working on the continuous delivery book by Jez Humble. We had a another meeting uh, or book club around the testing chapter. Um, again, a good chapter, lots to learn. Um a few terms we picked up is happy path testing, uh, which is nice uh, to start focusing on our acceptance test to really get them out there quickly uh, along the happy path of, yeah. of the user stories and the features expected. Right. Uh, so that was a nice term from there. Yeah, totally. And I think it helps to focus. Like it's it's really especially so this chapter was nice because it it also made the, dis, it, the it also distinguished between yeah. projects where you're starting new and projects yeah. where you've got an existing code base that's in some kind of state test wise, um, you know, and what to do about that. And I think that combined with, 
you know, that happy path, that focusing yeah. on uh, what, is, what those critical paths, those critical uh, path, And when I say critical paths and happy path, we're really talking about the, the paths of the application that are most critical to the business. Um, you know, it really helps because we, you know, in, in terms of a larger project and especially a larger project where you have potentially a lot of catch up work to do to get things yeah. where you want so that you can implement a continuous delivery system. Um, that could really mean a lot of work, like a lot, a lot of work, like weeks of work. Yeah. Uh, um, and so to be able to focus and say, well, hold on, let's, let's really get to what's going to pay off the most for us uh, and pay off most for the business. Um, that's, I, I think that's huge. Um, the, yeah, the, it makes it nice and easy to figure out how to start. Yeah, totally. Uh, the other thing which I think you talked about a bit, but I was, uh, really surprising for me were kind of the non-functional or uh tests yeah. right what what is yeah, that all focusing on load balancing uh security and those things that come into play once everybody starts using your system but typically don't get thought about until everybody comes in and starts using your system and then it crashes mm-hmm. so it's a lot of the things we take for granted but we should start right away hitting them at that level having the automated test running um so that we're ready because it's, it's, you know, how many times have that, has that happened? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know this would happen with five different people at the same time. Yeah. It, it broke this, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, getting those non-functional, uh, things in place and, um, and, uh, non-functional being not part of the project's requirements. Right. So yeah, that was a great, uh, you know, uh, something we've probably heard before, but just to have it sink in was really nice. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. I'm curious what, a, like, uh, in your, you know, cause so you're also doing some like higher level, um, uh, thinking and planning for, for our team. Like, what do you see as like the next, um, big steps in terms of automation? Uh, you know, are you focusing on a particular area? I mean, I know we are fo- like in terms of the book club, we're f- focusing on testing right now. And, and the next chapter I think is about, uh, kind of data pipelines, um, yeah. but is there any, is there deployment any, pipelines, yeah, deployment yeah. pipelines, is there any research you're doing or any kind of particular focus you have right now that might be interesting to share? Uh, it's, it's a little bit abstract still, mm-hmm. but basically it is like you're saying, we're just doing our best to, um, uh, make our deployments, uh, consistent, seamless and, and, and no manual interactions at all. So we just don't blow it like, Oh, I forgot to push that environment. So right. oh no. You know, it's a typical Laravel thing, too, with the .env file. I mean, I added this new key. Who else has it? Who else needs it? What's the latest stuff? Right. I'm coming back six months later. Where do I get the hash? You know, mm-hmm. like all these things that happen. Uh, so trying to avoid those things is, is the, the gist of it now. Totally. Which might, you know, the next chapter is delivery or uh, pipeline. So maybe they'll have some thoughts there, too. Cool. So AWS offers a lot of services, too. So it's, it's trying to bring all those together. Mm-hmm. All right. So... The deep dive um, was originally, uh, so this is our third and last, uh, uh, you know, series thing on NoSQL as we just try to wrap our heads around this this tool. Um, In the YouTube video I suggested, which sounded awesome, Craigslist and NoSQL, uh, was a good example of what never to do uh, when you're doing a presentation. And that is to take questions at any point during the presentation. Uh, This guy set himself up for a tough one. Uh, and he had so many questions, which he ended up just saying most of the time. <laughs> I cover that in a few more minutes. Just hold on. Uh, so, but I thought it would be a great one because Craigslist is there. They've done it. They've succeeded at, at doing these things without AWS. And, uh, to see how they use NoSQL would have been great. 
about an hour and 40 minutes into this thing, they finally talked about NoSQL, and it was like two slides long. Wow. Uh, but something to really consider out of that video, which we're not going to talk about, is um, there is no stack anymore. Uh, it was a great quote by Martin Michaels, uh, e.g., there's no just lamp. You know, and what all these people are doing is they're having multiple databases deal with things at the at the at the need level, right? They have, um, you know, whether it's MongoDB, then MySQL, then Memcached or Redis, they're all databases, and they're all doing what needs to be done for that particular situation. So it's a good example of how there's this isn't about choosing the tool; it's about choosing the right tool for the right part of the job, mm-hmm. right? So. Um, you know, and that, that, you know, basically summarizes how, you know, some things I got out of that hour and 40 something minutes or whatever it was. Um, and, and that's it, but we're going to move on to the, the video we decided to use to rescue this is actually a really good video. Yeah. I thought it would be just a big commercial for dynamo DB. Um, but it actually, the guy goes over some really great concepts and even though they apply to dynamo, you can just still see the power we have at the no SQL level. Yeah. Um, and that's the AWS reInvent 2014 from zero to NoSQL Hero Amazon DynamoDB tutorial, and just really good. Yeah. Um, now, uh, let's. I, I guess we should hit the things we've we we come out of with it. Yeah. For NoSQL. Yeah. Totally. I mean, one of the biggest things for me, um, and I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. Uh, just because it kind of put things into context too. After the last two, uh, after our last two talks. I felt like I was kind of flailing a little bit during our first talk to to really grasp and understand the use cases. Right. Um, you were just getting rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't need this. <laughs> well, yeah. I, 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 it, was, it was a struggle for me to see. Like, yeah, because the last project went hard. Yeah. It, went, it was a good example of how maybe not to use right. it. Right, you know? exactly. So. Um, and now it's all starting to like uh, line up, I think. And you know, one of the things that was talked about in this video that I didn't really feel like was touched on uh, in the last couple that we've watched, um, was just how important the management piece of it is for you because you're not having to deal. I mean, this is small compared to like understanding NoSQL in general and understanding what the options are and 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 what the trade offs are, which is kind of what we talked about in the last video. Um, but uh, you know, it really does provide you a lot in terms of the scalability, which of course we've talked about, but also like the security inspections. Uh, security patches and upgrades, software upgrades oh, yeah. and patches, uh, automated hardware hardware failover. Like I, you yeah. know, like I remember. Yeah. It's so crazy. Like I mean, I remember five years ago building hardware failover systems for companies yeah. that cost yeah. a lot of money, uh, and now yeah. it's just built in. I mean, that's just it's just it's well, just built into it, these. It is huge advantage to AWS. Right. Like, it's just amazing. Uh, whether you're doing RDS or, or Dynamo, you have these things that, yeah, it's easy to forget how hard they used to be. Right. So, right. um, and watching some of the, like they had, okay, you know, so they had, um, response, you know, they, they wanted to monitor responses, uh, in, in, to, to the APIs using, um, Dynamo. And it was amazing because, you know, it, it, it the latency and the response time, like didn't waver. You could see the, there was, you know, there was a line showing the requests mm. coming in and yeah, it was going that. up and down and up and down. But that, but the latency and the response time was just as solid as you, you know, as you could expect, um, which just goes to show like it really is. I mean, you know, it's, they're doing a lot behind the scenes there. Oh yeah. Um, in some of the things with Dynamo, this video, he just does some basic, uh, example applications and which was really neat. 
you know, and he showed like, you know, what if we had a tagging app or an image tagging app yeah. or an image sharing app and how he would deal with those things. Right. So I saw a lot of, you know, uh, abilities there to do some basic stuff. Sorry, not some basic, some common stuff right. uh, that you would think, oh, this has to be relational. Right. But here he is, wasn't, he was not using relational. Right. Uh, in, 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 you know, some of the more complex queries, he's like, you know, we can keep a synchronized indexed uh, table for you that performs that particular data layout for right. you. So you can get to that instead. It was like, huh. yeah, that was, you know, that's key. Yeah. That was convenient. It's right. like, Oh yeah. It's like, you know, how many images does so-and-so have? Well, that's a query that might be harder to do, but here's your, here's your other table with all that information right. ready to go. So. so what Al's referring to is basically like you can set up uh, secondary indexes, secondary indexes, uh, lo- yeah. bo- both local or global indexes, which have a bit of a different meaning. <laughs> Crazy, uh, you know, and yeah. and and then it allows you to just do like really uh, and basically almost like uh, SQL like syntax, um, you yeah. know, and yeah, they had that, yeah. So that that's yeah. really nice to be able to, you know, for those for folks who come from a from a SQL background. Uh, you'll find familiarity there. Yeah, that whole query, uh, SQL query uh, example he had with the code. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, too, that really hit me finally was he was showing all these tables of the simple schema, but he made it clear this isn't a schema of the database. This is a schema of the row. Right. And I think that was really interesting for me to finally click and say, okay, I'm setting up the schema of the row when I say what's my um, this and that and, and, and so forth. But in the end, I can change it for the next row if I grow out of it. Right. Uh, and that was really uh, a no-duh, but still kind of uh, eye-opening moment. Um, and it's happened to me recently. I made this simple thing that is just tracking some um, stuff our application is doing. And I don't need a format for that, so I could just dump it into the same uh, table, you know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to, like, update any particular schemas or anything. Right. So it's just it's just really interesting to see how that stuff can can really uh, take it. Be, we can take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had this other nice feature called update and view, which you didn't pay for right. uh, the extra query. You just got to do an update and then get the results right. um, from the update. That was a, a pretty nice feature right. as well. Right. And then the, the uh, going along with that, there's also, um, uh, you know, Dynamo has a... a, a you, there are different kinds of reads that you can request. I, I was going to mention that right. to you. There was the non... Um, the non, There's consistent uh, and then eventually yeah. consistent. And non-consistent was half the price. Yeah. Or, I think it I was is. wondering. Yeah, it is I half was going to ask you, are we doing that? Yeah, <laughs> and we're not. I I, I don't <laughs> think we can do that because we do need to have. Yeah. Uh, in our use case, yeah. we do need to have. We need we need to make sure that that data was updated. But maybe yeah, so not we'll, all the time. You're right. We should review yeah. it again. Um, yeah, like a month later. Who cares? This right. data is not changing. So basically, you're saying, hey, I don't care if this is older data than five seconds ago. Just give it to me right. versus, no, I want to know if this gets updated between now and the moment right. I get it kind of thing. And that has to do with the way that the, the, the data is partitioned and spread across yeah. a load. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's, right. it's harder right. for you to guarantee, you know, and this would be like uh, a typical example is like the hotel room example, right? Like, do you double book the hotel room or you know, is it okay if you double yeah. book a hotel room or do you need yeah. to know that the hotel room you book absolutely doesn't, you know, have is, is absolutely available? Um, and actually yeah. an example that was used in a previous video was the Amazon cart because the, the Amazon uses this for their cart system. And you may, you know, it happens oh, yeah. less these days, but you may have noticed that, um, sometimes you'll delete an item from your cart and then you'll go to another page and there's your item back in your cart again. And you're like, what, what, <laughs> like how, why did this happen? And that's exactly it. It's because they're, um, they're not, uh, using, 
in this particular case, they're, they're not using a, uh, consistent reads. They're using eventually consistent reads. So that delete, while it's happened, it, yeah. the, you know, yeah. the, the server you're talking to doesn't know that it's happened yet. Um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, that, that is some, uh, nice stuff, uh, with what you can do there. And the guy, he did a really good job. I mean, he had some great examples of, of common stuff, but he, he made it interesting. Yeah. He had that whole tic-tac-toe one. It's like, this is stupid, but it wasn't. Yeah. It was like, yeah, these are common issues that you could approach even with this simple solution yeah. or simple uh, example, and he did it. Right. Uh, the conditional just, rights. and the, Yeah, and the, you just saw how these complex right. situations do arise even from this simple yeah. game. So the conditional rights is a cool thing. Yeah. It's where you can you can basically yeah. say, like, I want to write this data, but only if these other things are true. And, and, that, yeah. and that allows you to say, like, you know, so, like, let's say we have a price of $8 and you want to update it to $9. Well, if someone's already updated that price in the meantime – you yeah. you, know, you want it to throw an error. So what it does yeah. is it'll say update the price to nine dollars only if the price is still currently at eight dollars. Yeah, uh, it really, yeah, it's really neat. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, you can do the read rod, uh, read modify write pattern, which is kind of like the version stuff that we've talked about before. Where if you need to version, um, hmm. you know, you need a version, you can do that to to uh, yeah. cover certain use cases. So since they're not our sponsors, uh, let's stop trying to sell Dynamo. And let's talk about, like, where do we stand now? Like, Dynamo, all these other videos, um, it, it's quite clear that all these companies are are using uh, as needed these NoSQL DBs, which I see now includes Redis, and it can include in, in, in the mindset memcache, right? Mm-hmm. But more importantly, like, how do how do they use it? And it's it's obvious they are using it a lot for archiving, but... Uh, I think from this Dynamo video, it reminds me too that it could be used for more. Oh yeah, uh, one of the examples I like most in this video was the um, here uh, geolocation service, uh-huh. and that was really wild because they okay so they do some. If, for those of you who are not uh, familiar with here, I think it's actually just here dot com, but um, it's very similar to like uh, Google's. Uh, street view where they have cars that go out and take panoramic pictures of everything and it's all geolocation you know geolocation yeah. service oh, type that, thing. those guys did the presentation yeah yeah it was amazing data and um Jeez. it's amazing because when you go to their website you can you can go look at a particular location and one uh one panoramic uh <laughs> experience is five you know on a, on a web page is 518 web requests um, and you know, what goes on behind the scenes is really interesting. Um, and it turns out to be just kind of a, like Al said earlier on in this, uh, in this podcast, it's, uh, really a combination of things. They in fact are using RDS, uh, behind the scenes for kind of, um, more administrative reporting things and also uh, prepping the data and getting it ready. But ultimately, once it's ready, it does get put into a NoSQL database, in this case, Dynamo. Uh, and then it's just really is just a data store. No, no, not that much more complicated than um, some of the examples that we talked about earlier, such as like a URL, uh, URL shortener, where you're really just, you know, there's a key value and you just need to get, you know, you, you know, the case of a URL shortener is really simple. It's the, there's a key value. Value, you you know that's the shortened URL. Uh, you grab you get whatever that is, and inside that you know data inside that record is going to be a link to the full URL, which you then return to the client, and the client goes happily on their on their merry way. And it's it's very simple uh, like that. Um, so they're using a combination of different uh, tools at different times, um, but ultimately they're using uh, NoSQL to store and then serve uh, those really complicated uh, records. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it was huge uh, database size. Oh, yeah, like petabytes, petabytes. It was ridiculous. So, that was amazing. And I think AWS is doing that for them. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with with all of that, I mean, do you? how do you see your next project? Do you see NoSQL playing a part in your next project? I do. I mean, I think there is, and especially with these, you know, especially on projects that are um, – where there's there's certain projects that we work on where there's just a clear need for it like to try to use something else uh just uh, you know it really makes sense i think you know the projects that i had uh, the projects that i've referenced earlier were kind of our first forays into it um and while i'm actually st- having gone through all this i'm actually still very happy that we are using no sq uh, ORM. Yeah. ORM and no and, oh, sorry, sorry, and, well sorry. i was gonna say uh also uh, uh no sql i just think that like it took us a while uh, to get, you know, to get to where we needed to be. Like we basically tried to use an OSQL solution for way more than what we should have. Um, before we even knew how to exactly, use it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and so that was a, you know, that was a, we, we shouldn't have done that. Well, I forget the way you described it last time, but basically it was like, we're trying to like, uh, you know, instead of like understanding the elephant in the room or whatever, which we're feeling oh, around yeah, and trying to like, pieces at time. Yeah and, yeah. and I think you're right. I think that's, I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, but good learning experience though. And I think there's, you know, there's no doubt in my mind, there's a place for this. I mean, would I, you know, would I use it for like a mom and pops business down the road? Right, that's not going right. to be, uh, exposed in, in t- yeah. to, to high traffic situations. I don't know. Uh, you know, cause yeah. it, it, it isn't expensive. How about for scaffolding though? Did oh yeah. For scaffolding, anybody? I could see it. And especially because I mean, uh, with the, with the SQ light driver in Laravel. Yeah. But I don't know if SQ would give you the, the easy JSON dump you want. That's right? true. That's, that's, more of that um i don't know if they have that feature yet but um like i don't know if it exists but i know there is one for dynamo that uh one of our teammates is working on where you can talk to dynamo as if it's an eloquent model right right so imagine that exists for mongo i can't i'm sure it does right, right? right. my point is if you could if you could just um have that ease to to talk to the database and you might you know get a lot of what you're used to out of eloquent but now you're talking to mongo and you're just prototyping. Right. Could you see some prototype advantages? Oh to yeah, it? totally. With that convenience factor, so because we both truly enjoy Eloquent. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, the next project I'll definitely use it for scaffolding uh, in in any complex data like that library I want to make to help us track um, statistics about a, a application. Right. It's like I don't really need to change it when I decide I also want to track. You know. Uh, the weather outside right. when they hit the page. It's right. like, I just dump it into the JSON, right. you know? Yeah, actually, on that tracking piece, another really cool feature that not only is available with, uh, you know, AWS products, Dynamo, but uh, was also with the Google product and others, is Atomic Counters, which is really cool, um, yeah. that, yeah. of course, allow you to make, you know, so, so Al's talking about a, kind of a statistical application or an analytics application um, where, for, let's just for to keep it simple, like say you're counting the number of people who hit a particular route or something like that. Yeah. Um, you can just, you can basically use, uh, use these atomic counters to just increase by one, um, which is, may seem silly, but in a situation where you have race conditions, you don't want to be saying like, well, take whatever the current number is and add, uh, you know, you, you don't want to be like getting in yeah. there and adding, you basically just want to say what, you know, uh, increment and let, let, uh, Dynamo or whoever the service is figure out like what that, 
you know, whatever the number is, but increment it by one. Uh, and you're not point. having to manage that, um, the issues that would normally come up with consistency and, uh, you know, race right, right, yeah. race conditions. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, so overall I think it was good to see these different things and see these different, uh, examples of where they're being used and how. Right. Absolutely. One other, one final note I'll have is, um, the one thing I thought, well, I forget what presenter this was, but it was at the end, um, <clears throat> there was an issue with, uh, and I, ne- I never would have thought of this because, and we do this a lot where we're like basically storing repetitive data inside of, uh, inside of the NoSQL record. Um, like, you know, for, for example, just a base URL, um, yeah. that every, re- you know, so like, let's, like, let's use a simple example of, a of a, um, of a shortener, right? Like, yeah. um, if you're a store, if, if ever, if we're always storing www.mysite.com in there, that actually takes up quite a bit of data. Um, and then the company who was speaking actually said they were, they think they're able to reduce their store, their data storage by 80%, um, oh, wow. by, wow. by de- by getting rid of this duplicative data. So just something interesting to think about. I mean, it's not the, it's not the most important thing. Um, but certainly as, uh, as I plan, uh, for applica- building applications in the future, it's something I'll keep in mind. No, it is interesting. Yeah. Um, no, it's really neat. Um, I don't know how big our database is again, but you can easily see replacing some of the consistent keys in 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 this in the JSON by just a letter and just right. translated on the out. You know? Right. Um, so, all right. Well, uh, that's that. It that's it for this series. I'm sure we'll have another one. We have the whole or half the year planned out already. Yeah. Um, but I think that's it for now. All right. Thanks again for listening to the show. If you can just take a moment to rate us on iTunes, it's a big, big help. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Devs Hangout and tweet about the show. Another way is to visit our website at developershangout.io. Leave comments, suggestions, and see show notes. Uh, it really helps us to get the feedback. It keeps us focused, gives us ideas, gives us energy for the next show. And once more, we just want to say thanks to our sponsors, PHP Arc, for putting out a great magazine every month and including us in it. Thanks again. See you next show.